You are listening to the Mile Straight Podcast. For more information on Mile Straight or to watch a video version of this podcast, visit www.milestraightbc.org. The speaker for today is our senior pastor, Tom Goss. Well, I have thoroughly enjoyed the music this morning. Um, I had one of those overwhelmed moments just a few seconds ago in the third song we were singing. Just one of those times when you just understand or feel in a bigger way than normal the love of God and uh, saw it through one of those songs. Just really neat experience. I love that when it happens. Uh, if you haven't already, if you would grab your study guide out of your bulletin, grab a clipboard and a pen from the book rack if you would like. And let me just say thank you so much for being here today. Welcome to Miles Strait. We're glad you're here. Uh, we're going to be discussing the matter of uh, spiritual maturity. It's so important that we don't stay in the state in which we are, but that we're always developing, we're always growing. It's so important, just as an infant or a baby needs to grow and develop, so we need to grow and develop in our spiritual lives. And so today we're going to look at one way to see that happen. Now I say one way because there's actually a lot of ways that God uses to mature and develop us. I mean, he'll use means such as what we're here now, gathering in a large group to study God's Word. He'll use the small group format, our life groups, Sunday school classes, Bible studies, uh, that type of format in order to teach us, to instruct us, and to grow us. He'll use friends that will speak truth into our lives to help us grow. He'll use experience. I mean, on and on and on and on we could go talking about the different ways that God will use in order to develop and grow us. And so when we discuss this way today, please understand that it is just one way. This is, this is not, well, that's all there is to it. I, I get this one down, and then, and, but God is using a lot of different means to develop us as as followers of Jesus Christ. We find this way noted in uh, James chapter 1 and verse 12. And please be looking as I read this verse to you, be looking for the way that God intends to grow us. It may be masked just a little bit, and so we'll uncover that as we dig through this verse, but be looking to see if you can spot the way God intends to grow us. James 1.12, James writes, Blessed is a man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test of time, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. There are three really important aspects to this verse. Three really important things that I want us to see. And it begins, number one, you first fill in with the test. The test. The test, the temptation, the trial... Uh, you can read that how you would like. And there are three things about the trial that uh, I'm just calling intended statements. And these are statements of what it is intended to accomplish. Three intended statements. Now, you don't have a place specifically to fill in this in your notes, but I wish you'd write these three statements in anyway. I think it'll be beneficial to you. So regardless of how you want to outline this, if you want to put an A there or a 1 or just a little dot, whatever you want to do, do it your way. But uh, number one, letter A under the test is that this is intended to be ultimately a joyful thing. 
This is intended to ultimately be a joyful thing. Now, when you first hear that, you come to the place where you think, uh-oh, that means that it's not always going to be a joyful thing. That there must be at least part of this process that is going to present difficulties, that is going to present some painful experiences. And you're probably right. In most situations, you're probably right. But God intends this to be a joyful thing. When we come to verses 12 through 15, we understand that they tie back in in the same chapter to verses 2 through 4, where God says, count it all joy or consider it to be a joyful thing when you fall into diverse temptations or different temptations, all of these different things. When you have these things come upon you, when you have these testings, when you have these trials, when you have these difficulties come upon you, consider it to be a joyful thing. Now, as we move a little deeper, we're going to see that that may become difficult for us. It may be quite hard in some cases for us to consider this, this testing, this trial, to be a joyful thing because of what it involves. And yet, God wants us to see beyond the immediate to understand that something is coming in the hereafter that is going to be greatly beneficial and therefore it is a joyful thing because it is going to develop character in us. It's going to develop strength. It's going to bring us to a place where God can greatly use us for his glory. And so he says, I want you to view this as a joyful thing. It's intended ultimately to be a joyful thing. The second intended statement is that it's intended to be a maturing tool for the believer. It's intended to be a maturing tool for the believer. It's intended to be a maturing tool for the believer. About a month, month and a half ago, I can't remember exactly when, we were talking about Jesus' prayer. And we were seeing how Jesus was praying for us. And what an incredible concept that God would take time to pray for us. And Jesus was praying for us. And one of the things in that prayer he prayed for us was that we would be delivered from the evil one. Not that we would be removed from his presence. Not that we, once we became Christians, would be snatched out of this world to go to heaven immediately because, well, we've already been saved. So what's the need in staying here? No, because there was still something for us to do on this earth. So what he was praying was not that we would be swept out, but that we would be delivered from his attacks. That we would stand through his attacks and would not be overcome or overwhelmed by what he was trying to do. And the same is true here. The same is true here. You see, God could easily deliver us from temptation. He could easily take us out of the test. But there is something very specific God wants to accomplish through the test in our lives. Something very specific that he wants to bring to pass to equip us to accomplish through this time of testing. And so he's not saying, I want to deliver you from it, but I want you to stand through it. I want you to stand through it. I want you to be aware that I'm up to something. And what I'm up to is an equipping, a preparing, a strengthening. There's something specific I'm wanting to do in your life. You see, the truth of the matter is that God wants us to be confronted by our weaknesses. 
He wants me to be confronted by my weakness. That point in my life which is weak. That point in my life which is spiritually immature. He wants to bring me into confrontation with it. Through a test, through a trial, through a temptation. In order to force me to face it and either fail or succeed in the process. Now please understand that whether I fail or I succeed, God intends to use both in order to bring about maturity in my life. God intends to use my failure to bring about maturity in my life. If, if I'm facing a time of difficulty, a time of trial, a time of testing, and instead of standing through it, I turn and walk away and I say, that's it. Don't want anything else to do with it. God, I blame you for this. This is all your fault. And I walk away from it. Then God is going to use that time in my life. He's going to use that time of testing. He's going to use this time in which I am just so disgusted with the whole situation in order to allow the circumstances of my sinfulness, of my rejection to catch up with me, to bring me to a place to where I say, you know what? (laughs) I really do need God in my life. I really do need to be back in the center of his will. I don't want to deal with this anymore. I've been down this road, and the Bible says that that road leads to death and destruction. I don't want to go down that road. It's very painful. It's very difficult. It brings a lot of hurt and a lot of difficulty into my life and into my family. And so I don't want to be there anymore. What I want is to be back in the center of God's will. God wants to use my failures to bring about growth into my life. He also wants to use my successes. When I am confronted with my weakness and I'm able to stand through it, when I am standing the test of time, when I am standing in the face of that which normally causes me to fail, God wants to show me His strength and His power so that when I come out on the other side of it, He shows me that I can have a new confidence in Him. That it is he who keeps me from falling. That it is him who has delivered me through this temptation, through this trial. So that my confidence and my faith in him becomes stronger than it was when it started. Which in other words, another way of saying that is that he is growing me in my faith. He's developing me in my faith. And so it's intended to ultimately be a joyful thing. It's intended to be a maturing tool for the believer. And number three, and this is the one that's going to be difficult to swallow, it's intended to include some form of suffering. It's intended to include some form of suffering. Now, not all ways that God matures us include some form of suffering. I'm thankful for that. Not every way means that I've got to face difficulties and problems in my life, but this one does. This is where God begins to use circumstances to mold me, to make me, to equip me. And when we hear that, when we hear that this is going to include some form of suffering, then it begins to make us question that first intended statement. It's intended to ultimately be a joyful thing, and it's going to include suffering. That's absurd. It's absurd. Why would we even think that that's a possibility to marry those two together? That somehow I'm going to suffer. Somehow I'm going to go through difficulty. Whether it's as the people that this letter was originally written to uh, that were going through times of, of 
persecution for their faith, whether that be a sickness or the death of a loved one, whether that be financial failure, whether that be you name it, whatever the suffering may be, God, God is showing me and telling me that somehow this is intended to bring about joy in my life, and it sounds so absurd. How in the world could that possibly work? And yet as we understand this more fully, we start to gather the, the concept that God is at work developing character in our lives. That God is at work bringing about something bigger than we are. Something much more important. Something much more significant than we are. We then can begin to view it as joy because we know that God is always working for the good of those who love Him. He's always working for His glory. And so if I can accept the concept that even though I'm suffering, even though this involves some sort of pain, some sort of sorrow, God actually intends this to benefit me in the long run, then all of a sudden I am able to be joyful through the experience. Hey, God's at work. God's at work. Don't understand it. Don't really like it. But I know God's at work. And therefore, I'm excited to see where this is going to take me. Excited. And so this is intended to be ultimately a joyful thing. It's intended to be a maturing tool for believers. And it's intended to include some sort of suffering. So we view the difficulties and the problems as an opportunity for maturity. We view it as an opportunity for joy in our life. At the same time, God is watching the whole situation. God is watching my response to it. God is watching the way he's going to work through the process. God is watching to see how it develops me. And in fact, that brings us to the second thing on your notes, the second main point. We see next the approval. The approval. You see, God intends the test to bring about his approval on our lives. He's using the test not just as a means to disturb us or to bother us, but he's using the test to grow and develop us to the place that we are approved by God. He says in the second part of verse 12, for when he has stood the test, when he has stood the test, for years I have misunderstood this particular concept. I always thought it meant, well, when the temptation is complete or when it's in the past and the individual has stood without falling. And yet we've seen already that God intends to use the failure and the success. And so it's not so much me standing through the storm, me being so strong, me being so mighty, me being so powerful... Because ultimately, that's the power of God working through me. I have no place to, to brag or to think that I've done something unique. What God is trying to show us that is that He wants to develop us, to equip us for His service. That He wants to prepare us for a place of greater use in our lives. He wants to take us from where we are and elevate us to another level to where we're able to do something even more important for him. 
And so he's watching our lives to see the development. He's watching our lives to see how this comes about. He's watching our lives to see if we're growing and maturing through the process. The way we grow and mature through the process is by submitting to God. Submitting to God. God, I'm yours. You bought and paid for me with the blood of your son. And therefore, whatever you choose to do with me, if it involves suffering, if it involves pain, if it involves sorrows, it's all right. I'm yours, and therefore you do with me what you want. God then can take the submitted person and grow and develop them. And he's watching to see that, and then he stamps his approval. Yes, they're ready. They're ready for the next step. I've got something else for them to do, and they are now equipped for that. They've made it through this time of testing, and they are approved to move on to that next level. Now, this in itself is a very interesting process because God is equipping us through pain. He's equipping us through sorrow in order to prepare us to move on to something greater. But in the process, God does something that is not required and yet is so incredible. God gives us number three, the reward. The reward. He gives us the test to bring us to the place of approval, to bring us to the place of the reward. Notice the second and final part of verse 12. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. When he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love Him. So to the one that is approved, He will receive the great reward, and that is the crown of life. Crown of life. Now exactly what does the crown of life represent? I can tell you, if you start studying it, and you study several different people's thoughts on it, you can get confused very quickly, because... It seems that there is a lot of discussion as to what exactly that means. And so you can start reading, as I did, read one commentary and you see one thing pop out. And you read another person's commentary and something entirely different pops out. And a third commentary and something entirely different comes out. And each of them have their own variants and their own thoughts. And, and quite honestly, all of the thoughts that I read, there's three primary thoughts. All of these thoughts are really good and you can support them with Scripture to see, okay, maybe God intends this by that. For example, number one, it's not out of the question to believe that when he says you will be given a crown of life, it's an actual crown. Uh, there's, there's no reason to think that it wouldn't be that, that God is giving us an actual crown. That this would be a crown that in glory we would be given a crown of life, one of the five crowns that we would then have the ability to gain or to, to, to be rewarded. And at that point, we would then say, Jesus, I earned this. Uh, through, through whatever I did to resolve or to bring about the, those particular crowns in my life. But because of what you've done for me, I want you to have it. And we cast it at his feet. My dad holds that opinion. Nothing wrong with that opinion. You can look through scripture and you can find a very uh, well-documented proof to say, okay, here's why I believe that. 
The second way of seeing it is that it's talking ultimately about eternal life. The crown of life is eternal life. So then for those who have stood through the test, they have proven that they love Christ. In other words, they are truly part of God's family. And therefore, when they leave this life, they will inherit eternal life. The third point of view is that that, that intends not only the, here, the life hereafter, but this life here. That, that by standing the test of time, we develop that character. We grow in our faith, which gives us in turn what Jesus desired for us to have, and that is abundant life. And with that abundant life comes this development of our faith to where when we step from this life, we step right into eternity and we are given an elevated place of service for God. Okay, so there are different levels of, of service in heaven. And the Bible talks about that. Uh, for the servant who, who uh, Jesus' parable to illustrate it, who was given five talents and he doubled it. He, he made good use of his time here. And when he got to heaven, God said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'm going to make you ruler over much. And the second one, he didn't do quite as much. He didn't have the greatest gifts to accomplish, but he did what he could. And so when he got to heaven, he was ruler over. The other one didn't do anything. And so what happened? <laughs> he didn't gain in glory. And so there are different levels of this, and after studying it out, I kind of fall in this particular category of thought. The truth is, it really doesn't matter where you fall. You can pick one, or you can go a different way if you desire. It's all going to turn out the way God wants it, right? I mean, it really doesn't matter if I stand firmly on my concept, and I believe that this is exactly what God intends. There is no other way to think about it. Or if I come to the place where I am and say, you know what, there is room for other people to have opinions in this matter. Yeah. For whatever reason, God did not make this crystal clear. We don't know. What we do know for certain is that God has promised a reward. And it is a crown of life. However that may fall, God has promised a reward. And so we know that that reward is coming. Now, that reward is not coming to everyone. That regardless of what you believe, that it applies to those who have truly been saved. Therefore, they will reap eternal life. It's not applying to those who have rejected Jesus Christ. They will, in fact, inherit eternal damnation, the lake of fire. For others, if you believe that it's, it's qualified because of the growth and maturity, the approval process, they in heaven will have a greater standing in God's presence. It's still given to some and not to all, and certainly not to those who have rejected Jesus Christ in this life. But here's where we come down to where I want us to, to have a a lingering concept of what we do with this information. Because in my way of thinking, God is laying out a test that is intended to bring about His approval on our lives that will in turn grant us a reward. Now, my thought is, okay, where are we in this process? Where are we in the process? For some of us, we're right smack dab in the middle of a test. 
And we're talking about this very specific type of test. This test that involves suffering, that involves pain, that involves sorrow of some sort. And we're right in the middle of this test. So then we now have the opportunity to either, either reject Christ through this or embrace Him more fully. We can deny Him. We can say, I'm sick of this. I'm not going to go through it anymore. And we throw up our hands and just walk away. We blame God for what's happening. Or we have the opportunity to accept that what God's doing is something that will ultimately be joyful. To trust Him so entirely that we believe that what He's up to right now in our lives is for our good, even though we don't like it. Even though we don't understand it, even though it's a very painful process, we can trust that what God is doing is somehow going to bring about what is best in our lives. And so we have an option. We have a choice. If you're going through something right now, you're facing a time of difficulty, whether it's involving a relationship with a family member or a friend, whether it's involving sickness or financial issues, or whatever the case may be, you have an option. You can view this time of testing as an opportunity for joy, an opportunity of development, or you can throw up your hands and walk away. Now, I can tell you that if you decide to throw up your hands and walk away, if you're a true child of God, God's not just going to let you wander off without pursuing you. There will be consequences for your actions. If it continues long enough, God will discipline in order to bring you back. Why? Because He wants to see you develop and grow through that process. He wants to see you, even in the middle of your failure, even in the middle of walking away, He wants to see you ultimately come back to His will because that is obviously what is best for us. It's always what's best for us. So then if we find ourselves in the middle of this, today I want you to consciously make a decision. What are you going to do with it? You're going to use it? You're going to waste it? What are you going to do with this time. There's one more thing that I wish that you would take with you. And that is that I want to word this carefully because I, I want I want you to really get it. Not everyone who attends a church is a child of God. Now please hear this, because I, I'm so concerned about what this represents. I'm so concerned that there are going to be people who have sat in a church service for years and years and years and yet have never known Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Let me tell you something. A relationship with the Savior, a journey with Jesus Christ, means that there is going to be a change in our lives. That there's going to be a development. There's going to be a growth process. If you've gone for years and years as a child of God in your mind, and yet you've never grown, you've never developed past just sitting in an auditorium, you need to be really concerned about this. Oh, Tom, you're just trying to get us 
to, to make some sort of decision. No, I could care less about numbers and, and how that reflects on me as a pastor. What I really desire is for you to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because we are not promised tomorrow. We don't know what happens this evening. We don't know what happens through the night. We don't know what happens in the morning. Some of us could very well not be alive in this world tomorrow. We're going to be alive somewhere. And so then it's important for us to use the time we have to make certain that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of our lives. If you don't know, you got questions in your mind. And can I invite you in just a minute when I ask you to stand, the music begins to play. Can I invite you just to step out and come and meet me here at the front? Say, Tom, I've been going to this church for 50 years. If I do that, everybody's going to look at me like I'm crazy. Okay, first of all, the majority of the people in this church are going to be excited for you. Secondly, it doesn't matter if people look at you like you're crazy. What matters is where you're going to spend eternity. Put that thought out of your mind for just a little while and get down to what's really important. So I'm inviting you just to come and see me. Here's what you can expect. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to parade you around and call your name out. We don't do that here. But I would love to have someone who's trained and skilled in God's Word to show you how you can know Christ as your Savior right now. So if you'd like to have that information, then I'm inviting you to come and see me when the time comes. Will you do that?